0: Rise. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number sixty-seven. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How are you doing Ian? I'm doing okay, Brennan. How are you doing? I'm excited because we've got this episode all about the hauntings of India. Yes. And I know sweet Frigal about India, <laughs> <laughs> but the stories are really, really good. So I, I'm, and I'm excited to get to those. Uh, apart from that, I'm happy to be back. We haven't been in the studio in almost three weeks. I know. Actually, I think today is three weeks.
1: Well, you know, there are some blessings.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair, fair. I don't, I don't have to look at you. So that's a bonus. No, I was. No, uh, it's been a while. It has. Yeah. I had to go up north on my family business there for a couple days yep. and then, uh, went to go visit the rest of my family in Revelstoke and there was some commotion in Revelstoke while I was there. Yes. I sent you that article. Yeah. They were, uh, they found in Griffin Lake, which is about 30 kilometers. Who? Who found? Well, a young man. A 13-year-old boy with a GoPro. Found a car in the water, which I think they had assumed was part of some other investigation or something. No, they didn't even know it was there. They didn't know it was there. Oh, didn't okay. Didn't know it was there. Okay. It was
1: beyond the drop-off where a car normally would be. Right. It had been missing since 1992.
0: Right. By a woman from Vancouver Island. That's, and it's incredible because, yeah, they pulled her out and sure enough. It's her. It's her. Ta-da! But. What they don't mention in the news, and I guess they wouldn't because it's not really relevant, but that's something like four or five people who've driven into the water in and around Revelstoke over the years. I,
1: I believe it. Minimum. Well, I sent you that other article because that was the weird coincidence of this was I just sent you an article like two weeks earlier. About how the police in Oklahoma, I believe it was, were trying out that new sonar equipment. They're like, oh, let's take it to the lake and see what's down there. They found two cars, one containing a gentleman and two other gentlemen who'd been missing since, what was it, 1959, 1961, somewhere Yeah, right something like that. And then another car with three high school students that had been missing since 1974. And they weren't even looking. So... Exactly what is in our lakes Man. and our ponds that are close to roads? I really wonder.
0: I tell you, I never looked at lakes the same way again once I learned they have an undertow. Oh yeah, that isn't right. It's no. it's it's a just a relatively still potty of water. Yes, an under no fuck you undertow. <laughs> we are not doing this.
1: Yeah, no. This is why I don't swim in anything without chlorine in a filter.
0: Amen to that. Yeah, because there are a couple. I think at least. There's a river story and a lake story coming up. Right. And both were, yeah, easy. Easy sells for me to never, ever approach what we'll call wild water. Yes. You know, untamed water. Untamed water. Like pools are tamed water. I, yeah, I can... which
1: in the scheme of things are the, are the significant minority in the world of water. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of work left to do. We do. A yeah. lot more conversions got to happen. That's right.
1: Add to that plastic island floating in the ocean. That's we need to right. reclaim as much
0: as possible. Someone's mm-hmm. got to show this water who's boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh. is. But yeah, it was fascinating. Again, like five, there, uh, there was an older woman from uh, Nacusp, I think it was, who went missing going yeah. to Revelstoke to see a doctor. They found her in the car in the water. Uh, two men went missing at the same time in the same region south of Revelstoke in, I want to say 2016 or 2017 maybe. They were not known to each other. But they both went missing at the same time. They were camping in the same area. Wow. And one of them was found, uh, his truck was found in the Inacomplu River. It appeared he had driven off the road. He was later found floating in the Arrow Lakes. Weird. Yeah. And then there was a family, a couple, either, I want to say last year or the year before, who were also driving south of town and they drove into the water. Wow! Now Griffin Lake is not south of Revelstoke; it's it's west. Yeah. So you know they're not not the similar not a similar region, but it's still close to Revelstoke. Right? But
1: they also found these people relatively quickly.
0: Uh, that's true. But then I guess they knew where they were looking, right? But like this is
1: my point: is they discovered that woman and those two cars in Oklahoma. They weren't looking. Yeah. I just think there could be a whole show there.
0: Oh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. 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 yeah no, yeah. and. Uh, I hope to not be involved with it in any way. <laughs> Watery Grave with Ian Gibbs. <laughs> okay, now now you're on to something. <laughs> Spinoff. I will attach myself to this as a producer <laughs> so I can ride your coattails to victory. <laughs> Boy, are you going to be disappointed. <laughs> as I mentioned on this episode, we're going to be looking at the hauntings of India. Oh, I love India. India is such an interesting continent. Oh, it, it's fascinating. I actually didn't realize it had the... Uh, sort of diversity in climate. Oh, yeah. You know, because Crazy it is such a, diversity. Big, such a big country. I always think of it as a very hot, dry place. But as we'll see, some of these, well, at least one of these stories takes place in quite lush forest.
1: Yeah, and, and also the mountains. Yeah, that um, too. I knew some people who were um, missionaries over there and they would spend their time in the wintertime in the city. And then in the summertime, they would migrate
0: up to the mountains. Oh, really? Yeah, so they could actually live because <laughs> it was so hot of course yeah coming up after the break The Haunting of India Welcome back as we said before the break, this episode is going to be all about the hauntings of India. It was supposed to be about something completely different. Uh, Luke had prepped all these great stories and then I was going through it and we're, we're still going to do that episode, so I won't give it away, but, uh, I was going through that list and a couple of the stories took place in India and mm. really painted a very particular picture. And I thought, man, I, I wonder, cause we talked about doing India next year and I kind of thought, I wonder. You know, if we can find enough sort of in a quick turnaround. Yeah. And we did, and they were, again, it's, it's so fascinating for me to see the cultural differences.
1: Well, I was going to say you, have you spent time in Asia? No, I've never been anywhere near Asia. Um, I spent quite a bit of time in, um. (laughs) Burma, wasn't it? I spent quite a bit of time in Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. It borders India and we were right down there just above the Indian ocean. And it's so fascinating because this country, the country of Myanmar, is so influenced by what it's close to. So when you're down south, you're closer to India. When you're up north, you're closer to Thailand and China. But throughout the whole thing, it's a very spiritual place. Everything, they they kind of have a giant melting pot of Buddhism and not spirits, which are nature spirits. And it's really interesting, but above all, you get a very strong sense that there is a unshakable faith in the afterlife and in spirits and in things that we can't explain. So the fact that it was easy to find stories about India, not
0: surprised. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't at all. And it was kind of refreshing because it, you and I were having this conversation earlier yeah. today, uh, how my, my world has shrunk. <laughs> You know when I'm You not- only go to the grocery store The diner and uh, The coffee shop And the arcade And the arcade And they're all within about Yeah they're within Within like five minutes <laughs> They're all five minutes walk from my house Yeah a walk Yeah Yeah, yeah my, You've my- turned into a villager I really Is yeah. what you have become <laughs> Except at night At night I get in the car And I drive all over hither but and thither. But otherwise beyond. you're a medieval villager uh, 100% yes. yeah, A medieval villager who Likes his Two chicken breasts Yes Eggs yes. and And uh, Hash browns Likes to set me up Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I am very, very, I I walk in there now and they say the usual and they just know it doesn't matter who it is, how many employees are working. Oh, it's sad Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) The same shit he always eats. Well, I
1: mean, I get that because where you live, like you're kind of, you have to go through downtown to get anywhere. Yeah. And in the summer going through downtown Victoria. Oh, Oh, it's been a nightmare. It's like trying to drive down main street Disneyland, but with less (laughs) discipline.
0: So I get it because you just don't want to. No. You, know, you don't no, want to go I, un, anywhere. Unless you have to be somewhere in the car, I, especially with all the construction this yeah. year, you, you just don't go.
1: Coming down
0: um, to your place when we do the live show. Right. Oh
1: my Lord. I'm fighting my way through the traffic. to oh, here. yeah. Well, I remember.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I remember. So tonight
1: this. it was so much easier.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. You got there real quick. You actually go over there before I did. Yeah. Way, way easier. (laughs) But anyways, so it was nice to expand my horizons with with India. And And we've kind of talked about doing that on the show anyway, where we're going to kind of mix
1: it. We, we've dabbled. I'm, you know, I don't think we've been completely, um, North American focused. We've certainly dabbled, but I think we need to, let's let's expand this a bit more. Yeah. It's a
0: very rich paranormal cultural phenomenon all over the world. Sure. And I I know we've had some listeners volunteer to help us. So I think that's what next sort of next year's focus will be the
1: international uh, world of the ghost
0: ghost world year, international year of the ghost. Okay. International year of the world ghost. Nope, it just keeps getting worse, but that's okay. We'll, we'll workshop it. <sighs> we'll workshop we'll work it. it. Jesus. Let's bring in a facilitator. That's right. Well, yeah, well, yeah I know one. <laughs> They're horrible people. That's how That's how they facilitate. <laughs> You're so fucking sick of them. You'll do anything. You'll agree to anything. Yep. <laughs> just go. That's just awesome. Just go. For the love of God, please leave. Please,
1: I'll sign anything.
0: <laughs> that's great. All right, well, let's get down to the stories. All right. The The
1: Presence. In May of 2012, my mother and I were traveling from Mangalore to Goa via the Mumbai Express. Close to 7 p.m., we reached Platform 2 of Magian Station, which was a huge pain because at the time it had no elevator, and between us we had packed something like nine bags. In addition to having too many stairs, Magian is notorious for not having enough railway workers, so my mother set off in search of someone to help us with our luggage while I stayed behind to keep an eye on things. Night was falling on the station. Our coach had been far up the platform to begin with, and with the Mumbai Express gone, the station was practically silent. The only other train around was on Platform 3, and it was headed back to Vasco, so there weren't many people on it at all. India is roughly a third of the size of the United States, while having more than four times the population, which is to say in India, you come to appreciate the quiet moments when they come, and maybe a notice more. I say this because as I stood on that nearly empty platform, my head was suddenly filled with thoughts of chaos. People trying to climb trains, falling down, getting themselves killed. No matter what I did, these visions wouldn't leave my head, so I began to pray. As I did, I noticed the train began to slowly pull out of the station as the man was desperately running, trying to catch it. My blood went cold. The man caught the train, but as he did, I heard a scream. Something no one else seemed to notice. Felt a presence rush past me, and the man slipped from the train and fell. He was now caught between the platform and the moving train, screaming for help. Thankfully, people heard his cries, came running, and he was pulled out without serious injury. Not long after this, my mother arrived with some railway employees, and we began to move the bags. I thought that the excitement was done for the night, but as we made our way down the stairs, I felt another presence approach me, This one angry, and it tried to push me down the stairs. Luckily for me, I braced when I felt it coming, and the worst I had to deal with was a stubbed toe. To this day, I don't understand why that presence was so angry. But every time I've been back to Magdian Station, I think about it and wait for it to come back.
0: So, firstly, let me say with this episode, beyond anything, I was thrilled to watch you try and pronounce the names. <laughs> hey, I did pretty good. You did? No, I, well, I mean, I don't know how it's really meant to be pronounced, but it certainly sounds credible. Thank you. Uh, I'm part of the battle,
1: and I've learned the storytelling—you just have to sound convincing.
0: That's it. You yep. don't have to be right. Yep, just act like you belong there, and people will roll with it. Exactly. I've but gotten if many are... free hotel coffees. By this. <laughs>
1: I've gotten a lot of free bathroom visits that way. But if you are out there and you know how to pronounce these things, that'd be great. We'd love to hear that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we can't fix it. Please don't get me wrong. But just for our own edification, it would be wonderful to hear how you actually are supposed to say these names. And we apologize in advance for screwing them up. More me than Brennan. Well,
0: no, I mean... I, I'm no, not much better. Again, I, <laughs> I just ran out of time to do the research on this. Right. In terms of like the pronunciation. Cause, right. Because we had this problem with, uh, with the episode with, from the Philippines. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I thought I'd get clever and edit in the native speakers. That was terrible. That did not work. A lot of folks thought, Ooh, yeah. That a was of, bad joke. That was, yeah.
2: <laughs> I, will, I, will, I
0: will never do that again. Please don't. Nope. The sunken eyed man. In 1975, my father lived in what was then Bombay. Now Mumbai in the suburb of Mulund East over time he had become friends with his neighbor Naveen and come to know him as a serious man perhaps even a bit of a bully at the time of this story Naveen had just gotten a new job working for a pharmaceutical company the position entailed long hours often working late into the night and required him to commute some distance via bicycle crossing railway lines to get where he was going it was on the night of his third shift that Naveen met the sunken-eyed man He was cycling back to Midland East after work at around 1.15 in the morning, when he saw a man blocking the railway crossing. The man, who was perhaps 5 foot 2 inches tall, stood with his back to Naveen. His bicycle laid lengthwise along the crossing, blocking anyone who may have wanted to come through. Naveen tried asking the man politely to leave, but got no response. He tried this several times, but each time the man either did not hear or chose to ignore him, and so Naveen got angry. Being, as I've said, a bit of a bully and almost a foot taller than the man on the tracks, he started making threats. Still, the man remained impassive, refusing even to look at him. This was too much for Naveen, who gripped the smaller man's shoulder. This was enough to get the man's attention. He turned around then, and Naveen desperately wished he hadn't. The man's face was completely white, piercingly so, with no complexion whatsoever. And his eyes were so deeply sunken as to be invisible. Before Naveen could do anything else, the man landed a tight slap on his face, knocking him off his feet. To fully understand how unlikely this is, you must remember not only was Naveen almost a foot taller than the sunken-eyed man, he appeared to outweigh him by some 100 pounds. All the same, Naveen was devastated by the blow, and when he regained his feet, the man and bike had simply disappeared. For a week following this encounter, Naveen suffered from dysentery, And even now, 30 years later, remembers the sunken eyed man and the force of his blow. And that's why you just pick up your damn bicycle (laughs) and walk around. Yeah, no, that's not cool. I just don't know what you expect. Uh, You know, there's, that's, if ever there was a story about karma. Yeah. Uh, Funny enough, there's actually another story, a couple stories later, about these very, very pale complexion people. Mm. So I'm, I'm wondering if there's something in the folklore. White devils. Well, yeah, there's that, uh, yeah. Gotta watch out for those guys. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm wondering if there's something in the folklore, sort of like a gin-like creature or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, if anyone knows, let us know. E- uh, yeah. Email us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com.
1: Moving day. My name is Adarsha and I'm a single mother to my beautiful two-year-old son, Pradesh. Together, we live in a small home in a quiet New Delhi neighborhood, and when I look at how good our lives are now, it is difficult to imagine the trouble we endured to get here. For most of my life, I did not believe in the paranormal, but a year ago, that changed, and that is where our story begins. For the first year of Pradesh's life, we lived in a rented apartment, perhaps a mile from my parents' house. Being a single mother, I tend to rely on my parents, and they have always been happy to help. One day, my landlord told me that he was planning to sell our apartment, and so we had two months to find another place to live. My dad and I began searching for houses, and one day in August, he came to me saying that he already placed a renter's deposit on a house for me. He told me that the landlord lived outside of Delhi and was desperate to get someone into the place so that she could return home. Initially, I was furious with my dad for making such a serious decision without my even seeing the house, but eventually I realized that would get me nowhere. So I agreed to move in. My only condition was that I be allowed to visit the house first and meet the landlady. When the day of the viewing came, it went badly. We entered the house, met my new landlord, and the strangest thing happened. I hadn't been there for three minutes or even seen the house properly when I spoke these words without knowing why. I will not stay here. I don't like this place. Something in there felt wrong, but I couldn't identify exactly what. And since my father was the one paying the rent, he would not hear any arguments from me. So this four-bedroom house was to be mine and Pradesh's new home. We moved in at the end of August, and that's when it began. Firstly, no matter what I did, the house was always cold. Always. And there is no month in which I would call Delhi a cold place. Secondly, from the moment we moved into the house, I felt watched. On weekends, I would do my chores, and it always felt as though someone was close by. But I shrugged it off as my overactive imagination, if only that were so. On a typical weekday morning, I would leave for work by 9am, and while I'm away, my father takes care of the baby. When I come home, he goes back to his house to see my mother, and later he comes back to mine for dinner. One evening after work, I had tea with Dad, and then decided to put Pradesh to bed, as he seemed tired. I wasn't exactly feeling lively myself, so I lay on the bed in the dark with him. The bedroom door open just a bit so there was at least some light in the room. Pradesh fell asleep quickly and I lay there wondering if I should get some stuff done around the house while I had the time and silence or take the opportunity to get some sleep myself. My thoughts were interrupted by the bedroom door slamming right in front of my eyes. I was shocked but didn't panic as it happened too quickly for me to really register what had gone on. Once I had collected myself, I decided a cigarette was in order, and so went out onto the balcony in the next room to light up. In doing so, I left the door to Pradesh's room wide open, just in case. Only a moment later, I turned from where I had been looking out over the street to see that the door, which had been wide open, was now firmly closed. Then Pradesh began to cry, and I finally panicked. When I opened the door, he was still in bed, weeping, but appeared otherwise untouched. On other nights, I would awake at two or three in the morning, sweating and uneasy but unable to move. Things also started to move on their own or go missing. Keys, cell phones, any number of small items, would end up in places they couldn't possibly have been, and Pradesh wasn't old enough to do it. Of course, I couldn't understand why any of this was happening, but also couldn't tell anyone, as my life was too busy for friends and my father would not have believed me. Then Pradesh began pointing to something I couldn't see. There would be times when I would be out on the balcony, that he would stop playing with his toys, run to me, and refuse to go back inside the house. If I tried to pick him up and take him, he would scream and cry in the most horrible way, all the while pointing towards the ceiling. Of course, I couldn't see that either. So I would take him for a walk to the park, and he calmed down. On my days off, I think I spent more time in the park than I did at home. Even on days when Pradesh was fine with being there, the air in the house was thick and unpleasant, as if we were not welcome. Things escalated to the point where I would hear footsteps in the night, right outside my bedroom. Heavy ones, like a man walking in slippers. And then I saw something. It was in December of that year. I was awoken by an awful sound, like someone was operating a drill close to my ear. When I awoke, There was a black figure sitting at the foot of the bed, staring at me. I froze, and I can't remember whether I fell asleep or just passed out. By this point, it was four months since we'd been in the house, and we were miserable. Pradesh was cranky all the time, I was exhausted, and so I finally broke down and told my father everything, insisting that something was wrong with the house. That's when he finally admitted to me what he'd known almost since the beginning. The landlady used to live in the house with her husband, who was a lawyer. He had lost an important case, and somehow a lot of money with it. The shame of it all driving him to hang himself in the living room one night. This happened only three months before we moved in. My father told me he had known since the end of the first month, when a neighbor stopped by to tell him the story. But since he didn't believe in things like ghosts, he didn't think I needed to know. Everything slid into place. I now understood what we'd been dealing with. The whole time it had felt like something did not want us there, like it didn't intend to harm us but wanted us to understand we were not welcome. Now I knew why. The prospect of moving again was not an appealing one, but I refused to stay in that home any longer.
0: Whoever it was made our life hell until the last day in that house. Now, did you tell me there is a law about disclosing whether or not someone has died in a house in North America? Uh Depending on your state. Oh, okay. So so there's not necessarily a disclosure.
1: No. um, Depends where you live. Um, But yeah, you have to tell them if someone died there. You don't have to tell them how... Right. Or anything else, but you do have to tell them that.
0: Oh man, because I, I got to tell, I mean, I guess, well, especially in this rental market here, you can't be too picky. <laughs> you no. Know, you could tell me that Jason Voorhees himself had kicked in the door and ripped apart a bunch of teenagers and I'd say, well, you know, heat and hot water are included. It, exactly. Oh, but it is a hot tub. Well, yeah. oh, not here. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but uh, I, I just can't imagine, you know, that that pervasive sense of not being welcome in your own home. No, especially having kids like the, the, the bit about not having friends kind of hit me, you know, just, uh, well, for obvious reasons, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I mean, I've never had kids. I've never wanted kids, but the idea of being a a single parent and being stuck in a house like that with your child. Yeah. It's just suffocating. No, it'd be awful. The officer. When my mother was 13 years old, she experienced something that completely changed the way she looks at the world. To this day, my mother believes in ghosts. It started in Mumbai when she and two cousins went to see a movie in a different part of the city. Most inner-city travel there is done via local rail, so they took a train to the cinema. But by the time the film was over and they returned to the station at Ambernath, the last train home had gone. According to the schedule, it would be another three hours before service resumed again, and so the three of them decided to spend the night at the empty station. Around 2 a.m. a man arrived and, out of nowhere, began conversing with my mother. She said he was an unusual man, wearing the uniform of an officer in the Indian Navy, and all he wanted to talk about was his daughter, who he said was my mother's age. He told my mother what his daughter liked to eat, to wear, her taste was quite retro it seemed, and even to which school she was hoping to be admitted for the 11th grade. The officer noted with pride that it was among the best schools in the city, even though my mother had never heard of it. Finally, my mother worked up the nerve to ask the man what he was doing on the platform, given that the next train was hours away. He explained that he was looking for his wallet, which had fallen out of his pocket on his journey. Local trains in Mumbai have open doors, so this isn't impossible. The officer told my mother he very much wanted to buy a gift for his daughter, but couldn't do so without his wallet. Oddly, though, he couldn't remember exactly what that gift was. The man kept my mother company till the first train came. And he said that even though he had not yet found his wallet, he would keep the younger people company as they traveled home, since his stop was only a couple after theirs. Then, at Valley, my mother's stop, the officers stepped out of their compartment, and disappeared in front of their eyes. All three of them were shocked, and upon returning home, told my grandfather what had happened. My grandfather worked for the Mumbai Railway, so the next day he visited Ambernath Station to see if anyone there knew more. It was the station master who finally told him the story. That 12 years prior, a thief had tried to steal a naval officer's wallet. And when the officer tried to stop him, the thief pushed him out of the running train. The officer landed on the platform, but struck his head and died immediately. No one had ever talked about a ghost, but then maybe no one else reminded him of his daughter quite like my mother did.
1: I love those ghosts.
0: Yeah. Well, the ones that are like they're dead, but they don't really know it.
1: And they're a little bit confused about what's going on. Right. And they know something isn't right. Like he knew his wallet was gone, but he didn't know why. Right. And he he wanted to buy something, but he couldn't remember quite what. Yeah. And so he obviously was, he died that day, but has no idea he's dead. Yeah. And he's just sort of stuck. He's caught in that time. It's fascinating. It's, yeah, it's a horrible thought. Oh, it is. No, don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't know. There's just something about it that appeals to me. Maybe I'm just a horrible person.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, there's a certain comfort in it. I mean, I think it's because it's so relatable. Right, right. You know, I, I think that there's, because sometimes we talk about, you know, spirits or whatever, and there are these ethereal, caring things who have the knowledge of the future in the past, and we can't really identify with that. Yeah, But yeah. some poor schmuck who, you know, where's my my wallets around here somewhere. Well, it's a bit like Bruce Willis in um, The
1: Sixth Sense, you remember? He can't figure out, oh, why is that table in front of the door? And, you know, like, how did I get here? And, oh, I, I've got to be somewhere else, but I don't remember where or why. Oh. Um, He played that so perfectly, and that kind of... Brought it back to me with this story that sort of, I know I'm supposed to be doing something or I know I'm supposed to be somewhere and yet I don't really know what's going on and I don't know why. You know, it's a little bit like
0: being in a dream. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking about that. I had a dream last night where it was a certain situation developed in an unexpected way and so I was trying to help someone go home and they had ridden their bicycle so I was going to put it in my car but because the dream had started in a house, I realized I, I didn't know where my car was. Right. You know, and it's, it's, it's it's, must be the same thing. Yeah, I think so. You're sort of just thrust into the situation where you have no memory of how you got there or why. Yeah. And And then it was his, his, the memory of his
1: daughter. Um, obviously the mother must've looked like her or who
0: knows? Yeah. I think the, 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 uh, the narrator said, yeah, the mother, he said she looked like the daughter. Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have anything happen to you at an abandoned train station at nighttime, I think that's probably the best case scenario. (laughs) On the river.
1: My uncle grew up poor and so like many people in his circumstances he took up fishing at an early age to help support his family. At the time people would commonly fish at night because the yields were better in the dark and believe me when I say it was dark. Even 15 years ago there were very few streetlights in our town and the few that were there were placed far apart. Because he was only a boy, my uncle would not fish alone, but rather with his father. Using the nets, the older man had knotted himself. One night, the pair were drifting on the river in their small boat, when they spied what looked like a woman on the bank. She was wearing a white sari, and sitting on the steps which led to the water, at the far edge of a street lamp's halo. The woman's face was hidden, her head resting on her knees, which led to my uncle thinking she was perhaps in some kind of trouble. And so he called to her with no response. My uncle's father thought that the woman had not heard him, so he raised his oar from the water and extended it just far enough to tap her leg. It was then the woman rose to her full height and revealed her face, fierce and blindingly white. My uncle's father knew that she was not a woman, but some awful spirit, and so he rowed away from the shore as fast as he could. The spirit then began to glide away from the water, out of the streetlights glow and into the darkness the bathing woman this story happened to my great grandmother zoya sometime in the 1930s at the time she lived in a small village in india and it was the custom for those who lived there to bathe at the river zoya was no different rising at the crowing of the rooster and walking down to the river with her friends this particular morning zoya left home for the river but found none of her friends waiting she assumed they were late and figured they'd catch up, so she kept on her way. The day was darker than usual, and unnaturally quiet. When Zoya finally got to the river, there was only one woman in the water. Realizing she'd probably left home too early, she turned around to head back, when the woman in the water called to her. She said they were both early, but since they were already at the river, they may as well just bathe after all. The others would be there soon. So Zoya dropped her things, and prepared to undress while having a chat with a new woman. The conversation was stilted, and the odd quiet hung over everything, but Zoya was a polite woman, so she never commented on the strangeness. Then she asked the woman where she lived, and after a moment's hesitation, she pointed towards one of the great old trees on the other side of the river. She laughed at Zoya's confused expression, then began to float above the water. Zoya fled, taking her things and never looking back. By the time she made it home, everyone else was awake. And she realized she'd gone to the river at 2 or 3 in the morning rather than 4.30 as she normally would. Moral of the story, don't mess with strange women you meet on the river.
0: Hang on, let me write that down. <laughs> Do not mess. What if they have a sweet van? No. Ugh. Or pretty sorry, just leave them be. Disappointing. <laughs> no, I, you know, for one, I couldn't bathe in a river. Like I, no, no you, you fish and I, running water, not happening. But strangers, strangers, I mean, you and I were talking about the horror that is using a, a public shower. Yeah. Like the at gym. A gym. Yeah, no, I can't imagine the river. No, nowhere to hide your shame. I, I remember, uh, when I was working out at this one athletic club here that was in a hotel, I think I told you this, the, you know, it was a very, very nice place, but, um, yeah, the, the it was just a, a mass shower. Yeah. And the first time I use it, I just thought, well, I guess I'm just going to pretend like this is normal. Right. And everyone's just standing around all their bits hanging out and all their unholy horror. Yeah. There's no reason for that. Old man's got his leg up on the sink. Please stop. Well, you know. stop. Blow drying. I do know. No, enough. Enough. I just stuff. Yeah. No. It's his testicles. No, just stop. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet Jesus. What's wrong with you? It's a long list. I'm fascinated by her gesturing towards the trees, those, cause pardon me, towards the tree, because we have another story like that later. And we also have a story, uh, where we had stories in the past. And actually I think it was another story from India, uh, in the taxi episode, right where something appeared to come from the trees.
1: Well, they do believe there is a strong, um, religious kind of stream that believes in the nature spirit. Right, Um, okay. Of the trees, of the river. More of the trees, though. The trees are seen as places of great spirituality and that the spirits of the trees can detach. Okay. um, And are to be feared. So, again, don't go in the woods. Yep, well, this is my excuse. International message. Don't go in the woods. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I don't know what the one was down by the river in that previous story with the white face. That's really interesting too. Yeah.
2: Well,
0: and that's the second person that we've covered so far in in tonight's episode with this pale, blinding white face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, I'm wondering if there's some kind of cultural, again, like a gin or a fei or something that's, you know, that uh, is said to have this particular appearance. On the farm. Last year in March, my grandmother was about to die. She'd been ill many times before, but this time it was different and everyone in the family seemed to understand that this time she would not recover. The small village where my family lives is many hours journey for me and so when my grandmother died 2 days after my arrival I decided to take the rest of the month and spend it with my loved ones. It's a rural area with great stretches of fields between towns and not much to do. So when my cousin Hamant said he was going to check in on a friend's farm near the village of Firod I offered to join him. Hamant warned me we'd be home late around 9 pm but I didn't particularly care. We reached the farm around 4 pm and Hamant set to work. It was, if possible, even more remote than my grandmother's village with no electricity and an imposing sense of silence that settled over everything. Hamant finally finished his chores around 8.30pm and we were preparing to head home when he remembered a water bottle he had left under a tree at the property line and asked me to fetch it for him. As it was dark, he handed me a flashlight and off I went. The bottle was easy to find and I bent to pick it up without incident but when I straightened, there was a woman standing some ten feet away from me. In an instant, she was much closer, and I could see her face was covered by a sari. I asked who she was and got no reply, so I became angry and turned away. As I started to leave, I heard the sound of her bangles moving, and turned back to see her face uncovered, and a furious look on her face. I demanded to know why she was looking at me that way, but she laughed, a short, sharp sound. Then she said, ''You should not come here. These farms are mine.'' Hamant called to me, so I looked for him to signal where I was, and when I looked back toward the woman, she was gone. He asked me what had taken so long, but wouldn't believe my story. He pointed to the dirt in front of me where I claimed the woman had stood. There were no footprints. In fact, apart from our footprints, there was no sign of anyone having been there at all. So what did I see? It's another one of these kind of nature-spirity type stories. Oh, yeah. And these things are pissed off.
1: (laughs) That's even worse when you piss off
0: nature. Well, I I kind of feel like we've done a pretty good job of that. Yeah. You know, over the last history of mankind. (laughs) (laughs) Well, particularly the last sort of 300 years, yes. Like I I actually had this great idea, well, I thought it was a great idea for a story. um, But I I don't know that we'll ever write it. But, you know, the idea is that it's two characters talking about the changing of the fairy court. Right. And how one liked us, one didn't. And the, the changeover is coming. And when the changeover comes... They're coming too. Right. You know, they're coming to, to hit the reset button. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the idea would be that the story is just, uh, just two people having a chat, shooting the shit. But then when one of them goes to go home, the changeover is happening. Right. And the lights just grow dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And then they set in. Nice. Because I, I, sometimes when I'm in Revelstoke at night, I mean, this trip was not creepy at all. Yeah. At night, I was able to drive all around, no, no troubles. But there have been times in past, especially towards the fall where I feel like, you know, there's something out there that's not real happy. Right. And it's just waiting for its chance to move back in. Like we talked about on, on the demons of the Prairie episode, this idea that, you know, we've stewarded things quite badly. Mm-hmm. And so where we we're, we're leaving these gaps. Other things are taking the opportunity to get settled. Well, and I, I think, you know, that story would be great, especially when
1: it turns out that it's the Fae that hate us that have been running things. And it's actually the good fae who love us, who are coming back into power, that are actually the ones hitting the reset button.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Right? That's because a Because they're the twist. ones who are like, okay, they have been able to run amok. They've ruined everything with the encouragement of these other fae. We can't fix this.
0: Right. So, so the, we're going to reset. The greatest kindness they can do yeah, us is to is put oh, us down. Wow. Like, oh, that's fucking dark. Thank you. That's right. This is a, we're the ghost story workshopping guys. Well,
1: and, and I'm the nice one.
0: Yeah, right? Well, <laughs> it's because they don't know you very well. True. Let's keep it that way. Yes, let's. <laughs> yeah, both Ian and Brennan turned out to be garbage. <laughs> oh, I'm garbage. No, I am garbage. I'll, I'll own that right now. I am like Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> Just without the singing ability. Who recycles. Does he recycle now? Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe. I guess it's fair. Well, he's a bit of a hoarder.
1: I don't know if you remember his underground garbage cavern, but. do they ever go in there? Yeah, one time. It was very exciting. <laughs> He had like a whole cavern under there.
0: Okay, I really want to see the Count's house. I was just imagining it's just wall to wall shag carpeting because the Count one hundred percent fucks. <laughs>
2: Ah,
1: you mean out of all the Muppets?
0: Yep, out of all the Muppets, he is the he, he is the pimp Muppet. Well, Big um, Bird's still a virgin, we know that. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, the count kind of feels bad for him that way, but he's got one, two, three hoes in the jungle room. <laughs>
1: At least Burton and Ernie have each other.
0: That's true. Yeah. yeah, true love. Yeah,
1: love is love. Goodbye. My mother has suffered from rheumatoid arthritis for a number of years. Sometimes so severely she has to be hospitalized. The last time we admitted her to the private hospital, she made friends with the other people in her room, one of whom, Benita, was in a bad way. She had stage 4 cancer, and the prognosis was not good. She was a young girl, maybe in her early 20s, but a combination of treatment and disease had cost her her hair, along with much of her body mass. She was exceedingly lean and weak. My mother was in the hospital for a week that time, and then we brought her home. A month later, she was still doing well, but we still had to bring her in for a formal checkup, just for peace of mind. It was a Monday, as I recall, around 7 p.m., and the wait was long. My mother was sitting in a chair diagonally opposite mine, and I was reading magazines to kill time when I heard her talking to someone. After a few minutes of chatter, I casually raised my eyes to see who it was, but found her talking through an empty chair. Not wanting to scare her, I stayed quiet but kept an eye on her until finally she said, "'Hey, Cal.' Benita's doing much better. Look, say hi. Not knowing what to do, I looked at the empty chair and gave a weak smile. Eventually, my mother was called in to see the doctor, and when she came back out, she was sweating and she looked afraid. We quickly walked back to the car, and once we were inside, she asked me if I had seen Benita earlier, so I came clean. She nodded and then repeated what the doctor had said Benita had died the week after my mother was discharged. Yet there she was, sitting next to my mother with a head full of blonde hair and a bright look on her face. She had told my mother she was fine and heading back to college. I don't believe there was any malice in the girl's appearance, but my mother was frightened and believed that the lie about college was proof she'd spoken with the devil. It makes me sad because I think it was a comforting lie and Benita's way of saying farewell. Did you ever see the show dead like me?
0: No, you've mentioned it. I haven't seen it. Okay. Because
1: at the moment of death, people have this thing appear to them. And it's usually something they want more than anything in the world. Right. So for one person, it was a spaceship. And they climbed onto the spaceship and they were whisked away. Right. One death was a child. And an amusement park showed up. And the kid just started running for the amusement park. Uh, Another one was a loved one came and took them by the hand. Right, but you always know that it's death; it's their soul being taken somewhere else. Right. With this story, it kind of made me think that Benita saying "I'm going to college" was probably what she wanted more than anything in the whole wide world at that point in her life. Right. She wanted to go on with her life. Right. And go to school. Right. right. So, I, I it is sad. I think that the mother's like, "Oh, she lied to me." She was a devil.
0: Oh God, that Bryles, well, you know, that boils my blood. Yes, I know. Anytime (laughs) someone pulls out the Satan card. So I think it was
1: probably just Benita saying, I'm I'm good. I'm moving on with my life. You know, I'm better. And in her understanding of what was happening to her, that would mean I'm going to college. Right. Really interesting story though.
0: Yeah, I I think it's quite sweet. And yeah, I, I... God, the devil thing—that Th- shit. Well, was... I don't know. If it was the devil or a devil? Yeah, but still, I, a I, devil, I, a devil. Still, a, that's a dumbass a, way of a, looking at things. A this. dark spirit. Like this, this. is probably the kind of person who tries to exercise their toaster when it keeps burning their shit, <laughs> <laughs> pouring holy water, water in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, here I bless this butter knife. Just stick it in there. <laughs> Plug it in, so the power of God can run through it. <laughs> We <laughs> want to tear. I don't know. It just seems like a waste of an experience, but
1: well, but you know what? I mean, people relate to the paranormal from their own point of view, and I well, have read point of view is stupid. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> I have read enough of the emails we get that people have said to us, I thought of the paranormal world in this way, right? And now, because of your guys talking about it and, and sharing your own experiences and other people's experiences, I think of it this way. Right. Like you changed my views on this.
0: Which I I mean that to be honest, more than anything, I'm flattered by that. Oh, I think that's amazing. Like that's a wonderful thing for me to hear.
1: But how else do we learn? If you never talk about the paranormal and then you have a ghost experience, people ought we fear what we don't know. Right. So people aren't gonna be like, Oh, that was a kindly former family member who, you know, no no no. You're gonna be like, Damn,
0: the devil was in my living room. I mean, it's all you're going to know. Well, and it's, I think it's fair enough to come with that. Cause yeah, sure. We only know what we know. Right. But I think what frustrated me about this case is like the mother, and of course we only have this story. Yes. We don't know whether her perspective changed with time, but right. you know, she's in this particular case, the mother has rejected this story outright. Yes. And just decided, no, it's, it's it was a devil. It's it's a devil. Therefore yeah. I'm going to dismiss it. And that's, yeah. I think that's the thing that frustrates me about these situations is where people refuse to to learn from a situation because they can paint it with this broad brush. Absolutely. And And I find that very frustrating. Well, and
1: it can be frightening.
0: I get that. Oh, Um, sure. I mean, I crap my pants every time something paranormal happens. Sure. Not literally, but close, you know. I'm grateful for that. I mean, when I was in my haunted trailer, my actually surprisingly not haunted trailer up north, the one time that, uh, you know, something, something happened, you know, I, I was, I was just heading to the bathroom at about three in the morning and thump, there was something fell over in the kitchen. I think it was just my coat falling off the chair. Yeah. But man, I glad I was near a toilet. <laughs> Cause that was almost the end. Good God. Yeah. I actually have a sound machine. Um,
1: that is – it's a fan motor mounted in plastic. It's not like a digital one. It's an old school one because the digital ones don't work for me for some reason. Okay. But I run it because uh, – partly because if there's noise outside or whatever, I'm not going to hear it. But the other reason is if there's noise inside, I'm oh, not yeah. going to hear it. Yeah. wouldn't well, given where you live. Well, it was different when there were cats because you could be like, oh, it's the cats. Even if they're both on the bed, oh, it's the cats. <laughs> yep. Um, but no, there's nothing. Just me and some fish tanks. So – um I don't want to hear any
0: noise. No, no. I, in my old house in Revelstoke, the number of times I came downstairs with a baseball bat because I thought I heard something. And I don't know what I thought I was yeah, going to do. Yeah. Just hand it to the robber and uh, like tell them which parts of my body are the easiest ones to tenderize. <laughs> but uh, no, I would hear noises well, constantly.
1: Whenever I do hear noises, I just sort of go, oh Lord, and roll over and go back to
0: sleep. Like, <laughs> yeah, what am I going to do, right? No, no, that's it. Yeah. Well, And when I, on my last night in Revelstoke, I was staying at my aunt's house and she had, uh. She'd been out of town. She apparently she was out of town, so I was in that house alone. Right. And of course, you know some of the things that yes, happened in that house, yes. and I am deeply aware of this. So I slept that night with uh, Netflix playing on my phone so loud. Are you serious? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, there was no fucking way I was going to sleep. See, I can't do that with music or whatever. It really does have to be that kind of drone. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I like other voices like sometimes i'll fall asleep to a podcast just something that one that i've heard a bunch right because it's a familiar rhythm oh no see even that makes my
1: brain start buzzing right it's just i literally it's a fan motor in a plastic housing and you can change the tone of it and i even took it on the cruise ship (laughs) well fair enough i just need that sound that white noise blocks it out i used to run a fan all the time and then someone was like, uh, "You know, there is an alternative. <laughs> yeah. Wastes a little bit
0: less electricity. It does, and it's not as cold in the winter. <laughs> that too. That too. Actually, one, before we go on to the next story, I, yeah. I, there's this other thing I tried the other day, and I, I never thought I'd do this in my life. But oh no, yep, prunes. Zip. Oh, no. <laughs> God, no, I've done prunes. Sometimes needs must. No, no, I try. I watched an ASMR video." What's that? So ASMR, I, I don't know what it stands for, but it's this audio phenomenon that apparently is meant to be very soothing to you. Oh, like so, no, it doesn't work for everyone. But uh, you know, I, I used to have a um uh, a girl I worked with, or she worked for me very briefly transcribing. Uh, but she had something called misophonia. Okay, where she has a sort of a violent fight or flight reaction to things like. Mouth noises. So chewing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Coughing, <clears throat> things like this. So ASMR is sort of like the opposite. You, right. You find it, you kind of find these things soothing. Right. And so I was having a really bad day, a lot of anxiety. And, uh, I just couldn't shake it. And so I fired up one of these videos on YouTube. And? You know, At first it was annoying as hell, but it actually kind of helped. That's funny. I, you know, it's just this woman who's sort of going side to side on the microphone and making all these little tiny noises with her hands. And at first I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard, but it just kind of settled into it. And I actually started to calm down a little bit. Wow. So I'll show you before we we finish. I'll show you. Well, I
1: find when I'm writing
0: or whatever, the kind of
1: music I need has no words. Um, Mozart oh yeah a great one and also epic music I love epic me- two steps from hell um all those guys
0: oh yeah love epic music and it gets me writing like nothing else see I listen to power metal when I'm writing ugh or or death metal no yeah because it's because it's such a an even an even level yeah see I need beauty in what I'm listening to. There's a dark beauty, man. There's a dark beauty. You don't like, know. Like my 1982 Chevy truck it has got a dark beauty, man. Don't judge my deicide records. <laughs> Who I have seen live in concert. Oh, God. Yeah, I wouldn't do that again. Something with a goat head or something. Uh, they almost all have either goat heads or uh, <laughs> pentagrams. What, Watain does the goat head. There man. you go. I haven't seen Wattain. My cousin has. But oh, a- anyways, great. this was a really long digression. Let's get back to the It really was. Here. I'm so sorry. The Hand. Before I tell you the story, I'd like to tell you a little bit about me. I'm a 22-year-old man from India. It's a big country, I know, but I'd still rather not say exactly where I'm from. Every year my family vacations near the same lake we've visited for years. The thing about this lake is that it's surrounded by tall trees and can get quite dark when the sun is rising and setting, so we only really ever go there in the middle of the day. Last year, as usual, I went to the lake with my cousins and we went swimming. In total, we spent a couple hours there either chilling in the water or the beach, then decided to call it a day and head home. As I started to walk out of the water, something that felt very much like a human hand gripped my left ankle and started pulling me backward. I screamed in shock more than anything, but when I looked there was no one there and nothing behind me. I took another step and the hand returned, this time pulling me all the way under the water. It was so murky and I was so panicked I couldn't make out what had grabbed me, but when I sputtered to the surface again, my cousins grabbed me and pulled me out. They wouldn't believe me when I told them what happened. They told me I must have tripped over some weeds or a root and felt a fish move next to me, but I am 100% certain that I felt a human hand. Later, I would learn from a family friend that a woman had drowned in that lake under suspicious circumstances, but that's all the information I was able to find. My friends still tease me about being drowned by a fish, but I know what I felt was a human hand and that whatever it belonged to was trying to take me. And yet another installment in my series on why I don't go outside. Or in non-chlorinated water. Yeah, also this. Yeah, no, not good. Can you imagine your friends? Like, they watch you disappear under the water. Oh, that was some seaweed that you (laughs) tripped on. (laughs) Well, you know, someone dies in this lake every summer. Really?
1: Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, people, usually drunk people jumping off rocks and the water's too shallow. Or Well, I mean, that's going to happen. I know, but like every summer, and
0: no one apparently knows exactly how deep that lake is. I mean, it's nightmare fuel. I, yeah, that, I don't know. I, I, if you're super drunk and diving headfirst into rocky water, I mean, <laughs> I, like I sympathize with you, but at the same time, there's only so much I can do for Choices you. Choices were made. Choices were made. <laughs> Whereas this poor son he He just no. he was walking home, and all of a sudden, you know, Aquaman decided it was game <laughs> over for him. <laughs> And there was actually a story, I didn't include it in the show because frankly, I was having a hard time believing it. A lot of it didn't add up. Yeah. And part of the issue was that there is a language barrier here. Right. Most of these stories were written by people for whom English was not their first language. Right. So I kind of had to parse them to rewrite them. Yeah. And so there could have been something lost in the translation with the story and that's why it was less believable. But... I don't know. It was, it was pretty, a pretty incredible story. But the gist of it is that this guy was, uh, in somewhere in India, I can't remember where in a city, it was raining really heavily and he saw a child being dragged into the gutter by something with white hands. Ooh. And he claims that he grabbed the child's arm and pulled it out. And he said that this thing was inside the sewer, like literally like it. Right. Like, Like the Pennywise clown. And, and he said that the volume of water flowing into the sewer would have been enough to knock any man off his of feet Right, it. right. So this, this thing was standing there and tugging this boy's leg seemed very, very, um, seemed impossible. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, there's, so there's yet another story of water and hands pulling. And white. And white. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. So I, I don't know. I mean, Interesting. again, this guy claimed he'd been jogging for hours and yeah. that he, he held on to the little boy for hours And I think, "Ah, I don't know, it just kind of sounds like a little kid writing a superhero story. Yeah. But I thought it was worth mentioning just sort of in connection with this story.
1: Well, and it, you know, some of these stories are tied to water because India relies so heavily upon their rivers. I get why so many of these paranormal stories are tied to the river. It's just interesting. I wonder if it would be different in a different area without you know, that heavy, heavy reliance
0: on the river. Well, I mean, you and I have had our own experiences in locations which have issues and then we discover they're near running water. Yes. So I, I think this tends to be more something about the energy, the energy of the running water. Yeah. I agree. Than anything. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, who's, who's to say? Well, there's a lot of it there. Yeah. No kidding. The Hunter. According to Vedic astrology, there are three ganas or temperaments devgana which is divine or good manushyagana which is human or neutral or Rakshaskana, which is demonic or unsettled my friend darshan or d has Rakshaskana, and so throughout his life he has had a number of paranormal experiences many of them frightening this is one of those stories the setting is in the furthest forests of maharashtra where Dee's father salman a retired army man used to hunt Salman's experience in the military made him fearless, and his favorite hobby became hunting in the forest at night. The woods in this place are so thick that at night even moonlight can't enter, and most people can barely see further than their arms reach, but Salman had excellent night vision and enjoyed stalking wild pigs, rabbits, and peacocks in the dark. He could identify the beasts simply by how far up from the ground their eyes shone. Those close to the ground could be rabbits, while those at knee height were more likely to be boar. There is a belief among superstitious villagers in this place that if you come upon a group of rabbits playing, you should go the other way as fast as possible, because they're not rabbits at all, but a diversion being used by the spirits to lower your guard so you can be taken, either physically or spiritually. On one of these nights, D was accompanying Salmon on a hunt. The forest was as dark and foreboding as you might expect, and they had seen very little in the way of game for much of the night. Then, up a small hillock, there came rustling in the bush, Salmon asked Dee to circle around the other side and clap to chase the prey out. Quietly, Dee crept as close to the bush as he could before he stopped and loudly clapped. The noise produced an explosion of sound from within the bush, flapping wings and the sound of something flying away, but nothing Dee could see. Given how close he was to the bush, he thought he should have at least felt the thing fly away, but that wasn't the case. Something about this upset him in a way he didn't understand, and when Salmon found him again, he was shivering with fright. They decided to call it a night and return home. Once he was settled back in bed, D felt silly for letting the whole thing get to him, and so when he got up to relieve himself, he went for a short walk in the trees to find his equilibrium again, then returned home to sleep. His sleep was disturbed, though, and he became aware of a figure standing next to his bed, shaking his hand to awaken him. Its head was swathed in a coarse black cloth blanket so its face could not be seen, but he could hear its voice. It sounded like a man, and it was telling D, To come with it out to the forest. The man was insistent, pulling on his arm and becoming more demanding the longer it went on. Finally, Dee blinked and the man was gone. He cried out loudly then, and huddled in the corner of the room as the rest of his family woke in fright. They all rushed to where Dee was curled up and found no figure, but there were bruises on his arm where it appeared as though someone had gripped him tightly. What he experienced was not a dream or a hallucination, it seems. It is said by some that in deep and remote places such as these, there are entities who are guardians of the natural world, the forests, rivers, lakes, and so on, who should not be disturbed or crossed in any way. Dee's family believe that he and Salman had disturbed some supernatural entity in the forest earlier in the night, but because of Salman's strong nature, it had not been able to enter the home. However, they suspect that when Dee took his late night walk, his fear gave the spirit a place to attach, and then it attempted to lure him away. Dee is still with us, and apart from his supernatural experiences is normal, but even today, several years later, moonless nights still produce in him a strange and disturbing sensation that he cannot shake. On those nights, he does his best to stay inside.
1: And the moral of the story? Stay out of the forest.
0: Man, we just keep coming back to it. (laughs) International advice from the ghost story, guy. (laughs) Stay the hell out of the
2: woods.
0: (laughs) I'm genuinely fascinated though by nature spirit stories or nature guardian stories. Yeah. And so whenever I hear this stuff, I just want to know more. Yeah. You know, and, uh it always comes back to this idea that a couple of stories we've had tonight have, have come back to this idea that there are times where you are not welcome in certain places. Right. And just because you can be there doesn't mean you should.
1: Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, we have nature spirits too. Uh, I mean, we call them elementals mostly. Sure. Yeah. Um, which I had never heard of until I started writing the book, to be honest with you. So which book um, is that? <laughs> <laughs> was it a strange little place no, available no, everywhere? No, fine no, books are sold. No, no, no. It's called Victoria's Most Haunted. Can <sharp inhale> you touchwood editions? Actually, available where fine books are sold. Um, no, it was really interesting uh, to learn about that. So when you do learn about nature stories in other
0: cultures, we have them too. We just call them different names, right? Right. But regardless of what you call them I I'm, I both want to and never want to meet one.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely.
0: I mean it's that thing where you want to you want to touch the stove to see if it is in fact hot. Yeah. And then you do it and you regret it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not very smart, Ian. <laughs> but at least you're curious and handsome.
1: Um you're curious. I'll take it. <laughs> The Chicken Farm Exorcist My friend Trakesh has always been the kind of person who wants to run his own business rather than work for someone else, and he's cycled through a number of unsuccessful businesses trying to make that happen. This particular story happened before I had even met Trakesh, when his wife Dimpy was pregnant with her first child, and he got the bright idea of starting his own poultry farm. The startup costs for such a business were not cheap. So his friend Jazz pitched in, and together the two purchased a plot of land a few miles outside the city of Calion. If you have never considered raising chickens, and I hope you never do, they are time and labor-intensive animal. They require regular food and water, care and comfort, and sometimes medications to prevent or stop disease. It's a business that rewards experience and can take a very long time to become profitable, especially if you need to hire additional help. The new businessmen wanted to keep their labor costs low, so it was decided Trikesh and the very pregnant Dimpy would live on the land and look after the flock. All their friends had cautioned them against this plan. It is believed that places such as abattoirs or where animals are raised for slaughter can attract the attention of negative entities, which can be very bad for anyone, but particularly for a pregnant woman. However, Dimpy was and remains a strong woman and would not leave her husband's side. For the first few months, everything was fine, and Tercrèche thought he had found his calling, but then the tide turned. Despite getting the best care, housing, and food, the birds started dying in large numbers. He was beside himself, and no matter how many chicken corpses he brought to the veterinarian, they couldn't figure out what was happening. Things got worse when Dimpy began to have fainting spells and became convinced some evil force was after her and her baby. As I mentioned, she is a strong woman, and this kind of behavior was very much unlike her. But it got so bad, she finally agreed to leave the farm and stay with her in-laws until the baby was born. Some believed that having a pregnant woman or teenagers in the presence of a spirit can somehow cause it to become more active. So Trakesh thought Dimpy's leaving would calm the events at the poultry farm. But the opposite was true. Things got much, much worse. Every night... Once darkness came, there would be a rain of stones on his home. Thousands of tiny rocks pounding down on his roof, and no one could determine where they were coming from. Huge numbers of villagers came out to help him scour the area, looking for possible sources of the stones. Even the police were called, but nothing was ever found, and the rains continued. What was most incredible about them was that they never actually touched anyone. According to Trikesh, if you went outside during the deluge, they would part around you and you would not be hurt. Finally, Drakash and Jazz realized they were out of options, and decided to seek the help of a spiritual professional. A man in Domvili, they had been told, could perform exorcisms. The man was famous not only for his abilities, but the fact that he had used them to help people without expecting payment in return. This was not the usual way of things. The exorcist told the men that they seemed to be the subject of some powerful black magic and possibly some kind of demon-like entity. The man actually told Turkesh and Jazz that whatever it was, it was too powerful for him to handle, and advised them to seek help elsewhere. However, the two farmers pleaded their case, and the exorcist relented, telling the men to come back the next day. When they returned the following morning, they were given a heavy black pot covered with a red cloth. The exorcist explained that the pot contained something which may appease the spirit and allow the farm to flourish again. When leaving Kalyan in the direction of the farm, there's a bridge you must cross, and the river beneath it is not well well spoken of. In fact, it's said you should not be near the water at night because of the black magic practiced there. It's commonly known for vehicles crossing the bridge after dark to inexplicably break down and refuse to start again. The exorcist told Trakesh and Jazz to take the pot to the river's edge after midnight, and break it upon a large stone known to be there, and then walk away quickly. They must not run, he said, but walk quickly with firm steps. He also said they must not at any cost look behind them as they did this. Now, Terkesh was and is a believer in the paranormal, and this whole idea scared him deeply, but he had no other choice, so he and Jazz set up that night. The bridge and the road leading to it are in a remote place, surrounded by trees, so the darkness already seemed heavier than normal when they arrived. The only sound was the rush of the river, and the two men struggled against their fear in order to find the stone upon which they were meant to break the pot. Having found it, turkesh held the pot high, let out a breath, and smashed it. Nothing happened. So the two began to walk as the exorcist had advised, when from behind them they heard shrill laughter. It was followed by a shush-shush sound, like someone was trying to get their attention. Turkish almost turned back, but Jazz stopped him, and together they returned to the farm convinced they had executed the right perfectly and saved all their hard work. The next day they returned to the exorcist home to thank him, only to be told by the man's son he'd suffered a fatal heart attack just that evening past, shortly after midnight. Needless to say, the two men were shocked so badly they decided to close the farm and move on with their lives. Even years later, they asked themselves a difficult question. Was his death and the exorcism related, or was the timing merely coincidence? Had they, by asking him to work outside his comfort zone, brought about his death? They still have no answer.
0: Man, if this happened in a horror movie, I'd be so annoyed that the film was playing by its own sense of logic (laughs) and not adhering to the rules that it set out in Act 1. Right? But this actually happened to this poor bastard. Yeah,
1: I know. I know. And, um, I think we can add another rule now. Don't become a farmer.
0: Oh, yeah, that seems pretty fair or, or an exorcist. I was going to say, well, I'm, good I'm taking my resume off monster good. right now. <laughs> uh, I am no longer in the market to become a, an exorcist.
1: No, I'm good. No. no. In fact, actually on my website for, uh, for my book, I actually say, I am not the person to help you. I know people who can.
0: Right. But I am not the person to help you. Oh, of course. Yeah, Jesus. Because people think you know what you're talking about or that you're. Right. And I so don't. No, same here. No. I'm just some asshole. Yeah. With a super soaker full of holy water. <laughs> and a crucifix made out of garlic. Well, yeah, that's. That's, that's standard. I'm, that's because I'm Italian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's just good thinking. I just throw it in the sauce when I'm in a restaurant and just wait <laughs> right for it to steep, take it out, dry it, put oh it back my on my rosary. Oh, yes. <laughs> Perfect. So I guess that's going to do it for Stories of India. Yes. Those I, are good. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Just again, different settings than, than we're used to, you know, and... Uh, culturally very different entities, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. in some ways similar, you know, again, absolutely nature spirits,
1: elementals, absolutely people who've passed like absolutely the same. And that's what I love about this stuff. It's kind of all the same thing. Right? Like it's, it's none of this is exclusive to one country.
0: No, that's it. And and I'm looking forward to, uh, what was it? The International Year of the Ghost? Yes. Where we start, uh, you know, seeing what we're, what kind of entities other people in other countries are coming across.
1: Yeah. And I think we should be able to grandfather this one into next year.
0: Sure. Like, we'll just say this is part of it. Yeah. Retroactively part of, yeah, sure. All right. Well, we've just edited past, uh, Ian's grandpa moment.
1: Wow.
0: (laughs) They'll never know. They'll never know. Well, I probably will because
1: you knowing you, you'll probably put it in the outtakes.
0: Ah, that's very possible. Yeah, I know. Listen to this idiot. (laughs) Well, meanwhile, deleting all my mistakes. Exactly. So I sound like the sex god that I am. Just flawless. The golden voiced sex god that (laughs) I am. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, like I said, that's going to do it for The Haunting of India, but there were so many stories. I I think we're going to be returning to that well again. Very cool. So when we come back from the break, Finally, we'll have patron shoutouts and listener mail. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team. Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this episode and everything else it is they do to help keep this wagon train a rolling. Couldn't do it without you. No. Anthony's actually on a road trip right now. He's Uh, sending
1: back the coolest pictures. He
0: really is. Yeah. And if you're a patron, you get to see those uh, via the lens part of the patron app. So very, very cool pictures, very, uh, great stories Mm -hmm. and I, the project he's sort of working on, I I hope it comes together because I think it'll be really interesting. Yeah, it would be. All right, so speaking of patrons, we'll go straight to our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our newest patrons. We love you. We sure do. And because uh, we were not able to do patron shoutouts last episode, both patron shoutouts and listener mail are going to be real long. So uh,
1: <laughs> brace yourself. Get a
0: comfy chair. <laughs> all right, so we'd like to thank our newest patrons, who are David Peck. Kate Van Cleef, Sissy Strange, Knox Fox, Tina Jo Rucker, William Banta, Angela Bodine, Carl Antoine Usakowski de Salima, Yanyu Sim, Megan Kane, Ashley Colucci Dorian, Katie, Nicola, Tatter T. Thank you so much for joining the Patreon. Everyone, I, I just can't tell you—we're blown away every time someone signs up. We really are. It's amazing, and we're really, really grateful. <laughs> we are humbled as hell. If you'd like to join the ranks of our Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the 1, five, ten, twenty, and $50 level. From 5 and up, you get access to our monthly Cabin Fever episodes, which is where Ian and I just kind of hang out, talk about all the shit that doesn't fit into the regular show anymore. You also get access to things like the monthly live show for patrons at the $10 level and above, which we actually just did today. Yeah. And that's just an opportunity for us to hang out with you. And then you get to watch it at your leisure afterwards and listen to it if you're that way inclined. You also get at things like exclusive stickers. You get access to the draws that we do. And, uh, we're actually going to be doing, we're going to do it this episode. We decided to wait till next week, uh, because we are going to be having a, a very special musical guest for all of October. And we wanted to include some of their music as part of our, uh, as part of our patron giveaway. So we'll be doing all those prize packs, uh, next week or next episode. And so there's still a little bit of time for you to join the Patreon and get access to those. And so you're just included in those draws. You're included uh, when we get new stuff. If you sign up at the $20 level, you get access to Ian's smash hit, Christian country album, Aware of Wonder.
1: Which someone told me they thought was a
0: joke. They thought it wasn't real. (laughs) And then they're like, oh my God, I actually got the files. It is so real. It is very real. Real is a heart attack. (laughs) So you um, get access to that. You get three signed art cards, uh, of, of my night photography, which someone just, uh, showed, sent us a picture today. They put them up on their wall in lovely frames. Yeah. I was really nice. flattered as yeah. hell by that. So again, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys to check it out. Now it's time for listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call
1: 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs.
2: We're ready to believe you.
0: We'd like to thank everyone who mails us. Uh, we just love hearing from you. We love hearing your stories, hearing how the show has affected you or how it's maybe changed your perspective and that kind of stuff, you know, it just encourages us to keep going. We can't tell you how much we appreciate it. It's really great. It really is. And and we of course are doing patron story October. So we have three episodes coming up in October. Yep. If you have a story you want to share a personal experience with a paranormal. Please get a hold of us at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we will do our best to get your story in the show. And if you think, as we read this list of names, that uh, some people there are accidentally on there twice,
1: they're not. I double checked. We actually did have a couple of people with the same name
0: who are different people.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> emailed emailed that story, left them on. Oh, that's yeah. funny. But it may sound, you may be like,
0: well, I already read that name. No, no, it's separate. So we'd like to thank everyone who reached out to us via email, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook since the last episode. Yeah. And it's a long list. So it strap is. in. We'd like to thank Sierra. Creepy Campfire. Kaylee. Melanie. Caitlin. Jordan. Lydia. Catherine. Mark. Marlene. Gemma. Glenn. Rebecca. Angela. Adrian. Mythica. Sarah. Devin. Sharon. Alex. Johanna. Matt. Selena, Kathy. Ronnie. Kaylee. Victoria. Mary. Yanyu. Christy, Lisa, Josh, Kayla, Bob, Sarah, Westside Fairy Tales, Carl Antoine, Michelle, Ruth, Tessa, Heidi, Ashley, Lacey, Rick, Hannah, Katie, Nicola, Forrest, Frank, Katie, Amber, Jordan, David, Winter, Christopher, Selena, Abby, Joshua, and Courtney. <laughs> that was awesome. That was a list and a half. <laughs> yeah, and I emailed them all back. So. You're a machine. <laughs> Jesus. Well, thank you so much, everyone. We like, like I said, we love hearing from you. It just validates the hell out of what we're doing here. And again, you want to get in touch, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. You can also get us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghost story guys. You can get us on Instagram at instagram.com slash the ghost story guys. And we're a little bit on Twitter at ghost story guys, but we don't use it much. So I would say Instagram or face, sorry, Facebook or email, preferably email. If it's a long, if something long, that's the way to get a hold of us. And definitely we look forward to hearing from you. As I mentioned, the prize draw we planned on, we're going to do that next episode because of our special musical guest. We will be featuring music from them all through October, and both Ian and I are very excited about it. This is an artist who we are uh, big fans of. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, we're going to push that off to next week, so it gives you a little bit more time to join the Patreon. But the prize packs will include things like uh, your choice of T-shirt, sticker, and something else from the Redbubble store. where We're giving away Steve the Cheese Demon clocks, of course. Steve yes. the Cheese Demon, new design from Matt Swan. We have. A bunch of new art going into the store from Bob Vasquez. Bob is a fantastic artist out of Los Angeles. Who's done some really great fairy tale inspired stuff for us. One piece inspired by the story, the thing in the trees is already up. Someone's bought a piece from that already. Mm, And it looks
1: fantastic. It looks amazing. So
0: thanks to Bob Vasquez and Matt Swan, the fantastic artists who have brought some great new art to our store. And those will all be part of the prize packs that you will have a chance to choose should you win on the next episode.
1: Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we actually do get to see some of these reviews.
0: So. Yeah. We've signed up for a service now that yeah. sends us the new, uh, the new reviews. It's and so great. It really is.
1: And, and it helps us, it helps get the show higher and out there and people listening. So, um, you know, it just takes a moment, but it, it really does make a big difference oh. to us. So please do that.
0: And thank you to everyone who's done it. Yeah, absolutely. it's very, very cool. And something I forgot to mention, uh, under the patron bonuses. Something that you will get as patrons, uh, starting at the $5 a month level, is you will get ad free episodes. Now, you may have noticed if you've been listening for a while, uh, we had ads, I think, early, early last year. Oh my year. gosh, way
1: back for Wait, headphones.
0: For headphones. Yeah. Now uh, we were approached by Stitcher Premium. They asked if we wanted to uh, sort of take a, a short arrangement, and we took it. And, uh, cause I, I, quite like Stitcher premium, so it, you know, I don't mind selling it, but if you do want to skip the ads, of course, you can either do that on your podcatcher or you can sign up for the Patreon and the ads you get there or pardon me, the episodes you get there will be ad free. So if you are not happy with the ads, make sure to head on over to our Patreon for five bucks a month, no ads. Although I don't know that the ads will be a regular fixture. Again, they approached us and,
1: uh, yeah, we're not, we have not been going out looking for no,
0: <laughs> advertising. no, no, no,
1: Lord have mercy.
0: No, no, I, I, as I said at the moment, it's just a limited term engagement, yeah. but, uh, yeah, if that's something you're looking for again, head on over to patreon.com slash ghost three guys, and you can get ad free episodes as well. If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to our Redbubble store. You can find a link to that at ghoststoryguys.com. And there we have all kinds of cr- cool stuff. We have the classic Ghost Story Guys white on black and black on white logos. We also have the neon designs from Canadian artist Becky Campbell. We have designs from Canadian artist Wanda Frazier, designs from American artist Bob Vasquez, and now Matt Swan. So all kinds of stuff. This amazing collaborative space with all these great artists who contributed designs. And yeah, we love it and we hope you love it too. If you do buy something from the store, make sure to send us a uh, receipt and we will send you a couple stickers as a thank you. If for some reason you want to hear more of my voice, you can (laughs) find me over at Largely the Truth on 92.5 Stoke FM. It's a weekly music show where I play the soundtrack of my week. Uh, I tend to focus on independent artists or sometimes I'll shine a light on a very specific time and place in music history uh the show that just aired tonight as we're recording this was a look into the musical history from rockford illinois 1965 to 1994 very specific but some stuff that you probably have never heard or never will hear on the radio anywhere else uh, i did a lot of digging to find that and very very pleased with the final result so if you want to hear a little bit of that again that's wednesdays at 8 p.m pacific on 92.5 stoke fm or via the web at stokefm.com or the tune in app The show also repeats on Sundays at eight, if you miss it on Wednesday. I'd like to thank Peter of Pizanta Music for our fabulous theme song. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash therealpizantamusic. His newest album, Lo-Fi Evening 3, is available on all the major streaming services, and I recommend you check it out. I'm a huge fan of Peter's lo-fi stuff. If you need study music, something to chill out to, you really can't go wrong. Again, that's Lo-Fi Evening 3 by Pizanta Music, and that is pretty much everywhere you find your streaming music. All the other music on this episode was supplied by Epidemic Sound. If you need PodSafe music for your next project, Epidemic Sound is the place to go. Check it out at epidemicsound.com. I guess that's going to do it. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, and until then, into the darkness we go. in learning any more than what I've already told wow. you. Wow. Well, of so, course uh, they weren't. Brennan, come on. I know, how stupid of me. The little debbies went that way. <laughs> Helps if I have them up. It, it probably would. Well, yeah. maybe. How about you go fuck yourself,
1: okay? <laughs> I've gotten on top all those messages, too. Thank you. Yeah, I don't want to see. Sup? What are you into? <laughs> or,
0: you up? Or you up. Yeah, exactly. Sup? Got a place? Oh, my sweet summer child. (laughs) Let me tell you a tale. (laughs) Oh, you bastard. (laughs) I will come to your house. (laughs) Have fun. (laughs) The magic and mystery of... Probably would work. Well, I hope I never know. I'm sure if we offered it. We'll never know. Just because you... Ah! (laughs) At least three. Oh, pardon me. I'm leaving that in the. Sh- I'm in the show. They can they can hear some of the shit they have to deal with. I didn't say that word. I'm very pure. You I said stony it. Stony silence. Not me. Anyways, Phil- and he's like, oh, I don't know if this is healthy for him to do every night.
1: <laughs> he's doing it every night.
0: Apparently. What's up? Can you make that bigger? Uh, I get that a lot. The answer is no. <laughs>